All right, guys, so um, we're here again. Hopefully this works and you guys can all see it and I'll try to stay within the hour so it doesn't get caught off in the end. But if it does, it'll be on the church website through soon, just the audio recording. So uh, before we get started, we're just going to say a little prayer. Dear Lord, uh, we're so thankful that we can contact and be connected um, even though we can't all be here in the same room uh, just pray that you'll be with all of us now and that you speak to us through your word and that we might draw closer to you and that we can um, just enjoy fellowship and knowing that you are our God and that you are in control of the, all the things that are going on and that you have good things planned for us in Jesus name amen Alright guys, so we are still in Zechariah, and tonight we're going to be in chapters 7 and 8. Um, we're going to do just a little bit of review, uh, just to rack your brains a bit. Although I do miss being able to ask you guys questions, um, I guess I'll just have to do all the review myself. So... Uh, Again, let's talk about the setting and who Zechariah is. Zechariah is a prophet. That is that he brings God's message to God's people. And he it lives during the time when all of Israel and Judah were in captivity, both in Assyria and Babylon. And Babylon is where um, Cyrus, who comes into power, he's a Persian king, he comes in and takes control of the whole Mediterranean and um, Sinai Peninsula and the, um, the Fertile Crescent area. And he's now in control, and God uses him to give to grant leave to the children of Israel to go back to Jerusalem, which was destroyed, so that they can rebuild it and rebuild God's temple and go there and worship him again and return to their homeland. So um, if we remember, there are three major characters during this time period. Um, there is, of course, Nehemiah and Ezra that are also involved, but we look at Zechariah, of course, right, his name of the book, and he is a prophet, which means um, he brings God's word. All right, and then we have um, we have Joshua. And if you recall what he does, think about it for a minute. And we have Zerubbabel. Think about what he does, okay? Joshua, of course, is their priest. Um, he is more specifically the high priest. And he atones for the sins. He is... The, their go-between to go from you to God, whereas the prophet Zechariah brings stuff from God to you. That is how that system worked then. And Zerubbabel, of course, is their leader. He is of King David's line. Um, so he is royalty, I guess you could say. Okay. 
and those are the three people that are here that bring the people back about 40,000 Israelites back to Jerusalem not all of them and they begin to rebuild the temple rebuild the city the walls around it and this is about Zechariah's messages from God to them this whole book Zechariah has visions and um, if you recall, there was the visions of horses and the red horse and Jesus on a horse bringing peace to the region through Cyrus. There was um, a vision of the oil lamp. We looked at that uh, a while ago where God's oil lamp represents the Holy Spirit and that we are to use the Holy Spirit to let God's light shine into work to the world, that God might do great things through us, that we are allowed to allow his spirit to work through us. And we looked at uh, the branch that Jesus is, a, is, that there was a stump, which is King David's line, the royal line that God chose to reign over Israel, and it was cut off. That means that eventually Zerubbabel dies and all the descendants are no longer kings after a while in Israel. And there is no one. They're all uh, kings that are not, um, they're not, I guess you would say, anointed by God. And then along comes a little offshoot. Just a little branch with a couple leaves, but it grows into a greater and bigger tree. And that branch there is Jesus. Okay? So that's a foretelling that Zechariah gets an image that he gives to the people that one greater is coming. Jesus is coming. He'll be the cornerstone is another thing they talk about. So um, Zechariah has many Jesus, many messages about Jesus and about redemption. A large part of his message is all about redemption, that Jesus is coming to give you a second chance, that there is a grace brought to you. And this is what is unique to Christianity, that only the Bible holds, is redemption. You look at other religions, you look at um, Islam, and there are there is no redemption. It is all about your works, and they weigh out in the balances at the end, and there, no one is there to save you. It's all by your own doing, which is impossible. You look at Hinduism, it's the same thing. It's all about your, what you can do yourself, and we all know how we fall short on a daily basis. Even Judaism is about what they are able to do, and if they're following God's rules, that uh, without Jesus, there is an emptiness to Judaism. Okay? So, um, we look at, now tonight, we're going to look at chapter 7 of Zechariah. So, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. And we're going to read verses 1 through 3 to start. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius, if you remember, that was one of the kings that, um, that, was around during Esther's time, um, that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, even in Chislu, when they had sent unto him the house of God, Shirezer and Regemelech. Sorry, I, I swear I practiced that. But he sends... Jerezer and Regemelech, 
and their men to pray before the Lord and to speak unto the priests which were in the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets saying should I weep in the fifth month separating myself as I have done in these so many years okay so what we have here is we have these two guys are sent by the nation of Israel to the temple they're sent there to go and ask God through the priests and prophets, right? So those are who you have to go through. If you're going to God, if you're bringing a message to God, you have to go through the prophet or and the priest, and they're going to ask God through them, should we mourn and fast during the fifth month of the year. And you should be saying in your mind, okay, why, I haven't heard of this before, why are they doing this? All right, you don't get any information, don't, it's not worth reading verse four or five for that information because it's not there why they want to mourn. But if we go ahead, if you were to go ahead and look in 2 Kings chapter 25 verse 8 and also in Jeremiah chapter 52 verse 12, you would see that a tragic event happened in the fifth month of their calendar. And that event was 70 years ago that happened. And it was when Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem. He was the ruler before Cyrus, before Darius. He came to Jerusalem with his army, totally destroyed it, knocked down all the walls, tore people from that nation of Israel and took them back, took all the best people, the royal people. He took uh, scientists and um, agricultural people and uh, wise men, things like that for his courts. Then he came back another time, so many years later, and he totally wiped out the place. He destroyed the temple. He took the huge brass columns that were huge around and uh, something like 30 or 40 cubits high, which is from the tip of your elbow to the tip of your finger, took those, melted down those bronze columns and took all that precious metal for his own use, took all of the gold items, the gold cups, the gold uh, meat hooks, the, all the things they used for sacrificing, the bowls, those things, took them for himself, for his treasure and left everything in rubble and ruin, all right? And then on top of that, he burns everything that he knocked down. So that's where they are now, is that they are trying to rebuild this. Is it not? Sorry guys, we're just making sure that it's out there for you guys to watch. 
So um, after he burns down Jerusalem, he um, the people have to come back and rebuild it, which is where they are right now. And this is something that is tragic to them, that they lost the temple, that they lost their connection with God, um, that it's not the same way that they're used to doing it. They aren't able to do all the same things that God told them to do. And it's they don't have the music that they used to have in the temple. They don't have um, the same... Um, Traditions that are that are just nostalgic to them. So this is sad to them. Not only on top of losing their homes, and we have in our own world we have things that are tragedies that we remember. Uh, all of you are probably too young to remember, but in, at 9/11. When the World Trade Center was attacked with planes and destroyed, as well as the Pentagon, that that was something that was tragic. Many people died. It was sudden. It was unexpected. And um, just a memorable moment in the fact that it was sad. And for many years, 15 years, 10 years, it was a very solemn day. There would be, on that day, people would pick an hour during the day for, to have an hour of, or probably not an hour, but they, they would have, you know, a few minutes of silence to, to think about it, to remember that sad thing that happened. Well, the Jews had a whole month where they would mourn, they would be sad during it, and they would also do fasting during that time, which is um, to show honor and um, sadness for what happened. So they did not forget. Well, now they are building this new temple. They have laid the foundation. They're getting ready to do the walls. They're getting all the groundwork done for this temple. And the people of Israel say, well, should we have, um, should we still mourn even because we're building a new temple now? Should we mourn even though we've started anew and things are going good and God is... Start is blessing us again. Should we still mourn for that old temple? And this is what God's message is to them when they ask this question. Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me, that's Zechariah, saying, Speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth month and seventh month, even those seventy years, did ye all fast unto me, even... Unto even me. And when ye did eat, and when ye did drink, did not ye eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Okay, so God, He first answers them. His first part of His answer is with a question. And He says, You know, when you mourned about that temple and you fasted about the. because Nebuchadnezzar destroyed your way of life. Did you do it for me? Did you do it unto me? It's a good question. Because that's the purpose of fasting in the, in the Bible, is to focus on God. To deprive yourself of something, to change your focus, and to think about God only. 
And God is asking them because he says, no, you didn't. You did it to have a pity party on yourself. Really, that, that's what he ends up pointing out to them. He says, no, it was all about you. And you have to think, because the Bible is supposed to apply to you, to me, to our lives. We're supposed to look at and see, what does this mean for me? And you think, well, do I ever do that? And I like to think that I'm not as bad about feeling sorry for myself as I was when I was eight years old. But I still catch myself, just in a sneakier way about it, that sometimes if I'm having a personal conversation with something, with someone about something intense, and they're telling me about how I have hurt them and pointing out something that I'm doing that's hurtful to them and that they're feel that it's making them feel bad and without even thinking about it I say I come right back with well you hurt me about this and how much how much worse it is for me and how I'm feeling and how quick we are to turn it around on us to make ourselves the victim to say well it's it's not my fault. I I have all these other things and it's so terrible for me. We have to be really careful of doing that because there is a time to be sad and it's important and it's a very useful emotion, sad and sorrow. Those are good things. There are times for it, but God did not make us to hang out in that emotion of sadness and sorrow. We're not supposed to remain there all the time. We're not supposed to, to overstay our, our, our length of time in that emotion. And you say, oh, well, what are you, maybe that's just because you're a little bit more uh, happy-go-lucky or it it's, comes easy to you to not feel that way. But that's where you have to look at the Bible. You have to look at things in the Bible. And we, of course, like we talked about back in chapter 4, that we want God's spirit in us, right? That is, that's being close to him. That is one of our goals while we are here on earth and in eternity is to be close to God, to be near to him, to have his spirit with us. Now, Going back to your Sunday school days, the fruits of the Spirit. Do you see woe be gone in the fruits of the Spirit? Do you see sorrow? Do you see sadness? Do you see um, any of those things? No. No, no, no. You see kindness. You see love. You see joy. You see peace. All those things that are the opposite of that. And in heaven, the whole... Part of that is taking away the sorrow, taking away the sadness, and giving you instead joy and peace and love and all those, all those other things. Okay, So let's see what else God says to them now that he has pointed out that they, are, that they don't need to have this attitude of sorrow. 
Um, we're going to go ahead and look at verse 7 now of chapter 7. Should ye not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited, and in prosperity in the cities thereof round about her, when men inhabited the south and the plain? He's talking about before they were captive, that other prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, um, Ezekiel, came and foretold them things, messages from God's. And he And God's pointing that out to them. Verse 8. And the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, Thou speakest, thus speakest the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment, and show mercy and compassions, every man to his brother. And oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. And let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. But they refused not to hearken, and pulled away the shoulder, and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it has come to pass that as he cried... And they would not hear, so they cried, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. So, God says, remember before that destruction, I brought that destruction. That was me that caused that. It wasn't just something that happened. I foretold that. But I sent prophets unto you to say that that to tell you that if you would be honest and you would be kind and in you should be kind to those who are in bad life situations people their widows the fatherless people who life has just happened to them and they need help to have respect unto others so i told you these things that you should do and most importantly that you should turn to me You should turn your focus back on me. He says, what did you do when I rebuked you? Well, it says that they slid away from him. In verse verse 11, it says they pulled away their shoulder. And I have on my side notes here that they had a backsliding shoulder. That is that instead of, um, instead of, standing fast where they were and moving forward in the relationship with God, that they slid back, that by doing nothing, they fell behind. And he said, instead, you put your fingers in your ears. You didn't want to hear what I had to say. So you said, I'm not listening. And you allowed your heart to become hard. And you might be thinking right now, those people, Those people always not listening to God. But how often do we ourselves ignore our conscience? We don't listen to to God's spirit that is pricking our heart, that is just prodding us just a little bit, saying, Hey, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Hey, do this. Do this instead. And instead we, we ignore that voice. We push it aside. Or we do it even though we are listening to the voice. As we are hearing it, we just keep doing what we want. And that's exactly what they did. It wasn't 
a quick thing. This was a slow thing in their lives. Uh, and um, we have a sign at Aslan's Acres that um, hangs up. It's a carved wood sign that hangs up inside the pavilion. That is a quote from one of our favorite authors that we've looked at before, C.S. Lewis, that says that the road to hell is a winding and slow and easy path is the road to hell. And that's how it is. It's an easy descent to close out your conscience, to keep quenching it, throw water on that heat so that it doesn't bother you. And over and over until you make your heart a stone. That's what it says in verse 12, that they made their heart an adamant stone. And another translation of that is that it is like a diamond stone, a gemstone. How hard is a diamond? Nothing else can can cut a diamond but, I guess, lasers or another diamond. And that's how hard they became that they were couldn't no longer be penetrated by God's spirit. It didn't affect them anymore. So, verse 13. Therefore it came to pass that as he cried, that is the prophet cried, and they would not hear, would not listen to the word of God. So when they cried, the Israelites, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. You might say, what? God didn't hear them. I thought God was always listening, always answered our prayers. Well, there is is a caveat that goes along with that. That is, there is is an exception, a small rule, uh, almost a quid, quid pro quo that goes along with that. And... The people that did not want to listen to God's word, did not want to listen to the warnings that said, hey, if you keep doing this, I'm going to send a punishment. I'm going to send you into slavery. I'm going to send you captive. I'm going to do these things. The blessings will leave if you continue to do this. Well, when you don't listen and you keep doing what you want to do, you rebel and do sinful things against God, you build a wall. This is you over here. You got some bricks. And you just keep building up this wall, and God is over here on this side, and he's saying, stop building that wall. Stop putting each little, each little rebellious thing against me, and soon you've built up a wall. And then after you have that wall built, and things aren't going so well for you, and you cry to God, he says, I can't hear you through that wall that you put up. You built a wall around yourself so that you wouldn't be affected by me. You kept rebelling because you didn't want me. And you built a wall around yourself. God says, I can't hear you now, not by my choice, but because you have put sin between you and me. Let 
Let's look real quick at Matthew chapter 6. Just a few chapters turned into the New Testament. Chapter 6, verse 24. Or we'll start in 23, actually. But if thy eye, thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he has to or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. That's Jesus talking and saying you have to pick who you're going to follow. You can't follow two people at the same time. If there are three of you somewhere in one's place and the one person with you says, I'm going to go that way. The other person that's there with you says, I'm going that way. You have to pick one person to follow. You can't follow both of them. Well, it's the same thing. God says you can either follow me or anything else, but you can't have both. If you follow anything but me, you can't follow me. It's just, it, it's a simple law that God has built into the universe and probably beyond our own universe, into the dimensions, into everything that exists within him. And, and that's where anything can exist is within him. And it's a, just a rule that you have to choose who you're going to follow. All right. Let's look at, let's go on, see what more... God has to say to them through Zechariah. Verse 14 of chapter 7. Back in Zechariah. But I scattered them, the Israelites, with a whirlwind among the nations whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them. That is, the whole Jerusalem was destroyed. That no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant land, the pleasant land desolate. Continuing into chapter 8. Again, the word of the Lord of, the, of hosts came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus saith the Lord, <clears throat> I am returned unto Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and a mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. So... Jesus says, I brought about consequences for what you did. I scattered you. I brought about punishment to teach you. I had to put you through a fire. And he says, but now, after that, I am jealous of you. I am jealous for you. Well, what does that mean? What? That's kind of a strange words to put together. God is jealous of something. Well, what that means, and I tried to think of a lot of other metaphors to use for this, um, just because of where you guys are in your life, it's not, you don't understand it fully. I, I did not understand it fully at your age, but there really isn't another good metaphor for it. But you see in the Bible that there is this metaphor where the church is the bride of Christ. 
It is um, to be wedded to Christ, to be um, in a holy bond with him. So that is, that is you, that he's going to return for his bride one day. And there is also the metaphor in the Bible where Jesus calls the Israelites, especially in the Old Testament, that they were unfaithful to him. That they was like that, that he was their husband, they were his wife, and then they left him. They left him for somebody else. Even though he had done no wrong, he had done everything right, they left him. And that is that is almost that is that sentiment that is described here that Jesus here is jealous for the Israelites. He says, even though you've done something horrible, I am, I still want you. I have this longing for you to come back to me, to not be in rebellion, to not serve a different master. I'm jealous of that, that lower master that you are serving, and I desire for you to come back to me. So he says, now, after, now that you've reaped consequences, sow your seed again, sow new seed, and choose to follow me. And this is where, like I said before, Jesus is the redeemer. He will put you through fire to get your attention, but that fire will burn off all the bad things and you will be left with only the good, the things that stand up to fire. That's why we go through trials. And he says, now come back to me. Come back to me new, fresh. I will give you new clothes. I will make you new. My redemption and my grace are there if you will have it. Because um, he, when you see any time where God is going to put you through a trial that's really going to beat you down, but it's also going to destroy that wall. If you decide to, th- to throw it away, to get rid of that wall, to repent of your sins and your rebellion, God is going to hold out his hand to you. He's going to turn and hold his hand out to you and say, come, you come back. And you always, always run back when you see that hand holding it up. Sometimes we are blind to it, but when you see it, return to him. Don't hesitate. Don't say, uh, maybe later. Because that will put you right back where you were before. So, Jesus is saying now to, to Zechariah, for them in their destroyed city, I'm rebuilding this city. I'm causing this. I'm working through you. My spirit is working through you. The only way you can accomplish this to come back to me. And I'm gathering you back. So now, back in chapter 8, let's continue on. Verse 7 through 13 now. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, in truth and in righteousness. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, 
Ye that hear in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets, which were in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before these days there was no hire for man, nor any hire for beast. Neither was there any peace to him that went out or came in because of the affliction. For I set all men, every one, against his neighbor. But now I will not be unto the residue of this people, as in the former days, saith the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give her fruit, and the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due, and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all the things. And it shall come to pass that as ye were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and ye shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. So, he tells them, I'm bringing peace and wealth and protection back to Jerusalem. I'm gathering you from all corners of the world, bringing you back here. And notice that all these things, the peace, the wealth, the protection, these are things that we are concerned with right now. Today, our country, our world, our little small communities, all concerned with peace um, we're concerned about um, our safety, our physical safety right now. We are also concerned about the economic problems that the, the virus has brought about. These are things that everybody wants. And Jesus, they're just in our nature to long for them. We aren't satisfied without them. And Jesus says, I know how to do this. I can do this. My spirit can accomplish it for you. But you need to be strong. Notice two times he says, make sure that that your hands are strong. And really what he's saying here is you got to get to work and you got to have courage. Don't sit around. Don't do nothing. You've got to work. My spirit will work through you, but I want you to be a part of what I do. This is good for you. So why is that the case? Why does God say that? Well, let's look at verse 16 through 17 now. These are are the things that you shall do. Speak every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor, and love no false oath. For all these, all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts... Oh, oh, we'll stop right there. So, says, these are the things you're going to have to do. You weren't doing... And they weren't being done. And that's why I allowed the consequences to come about. But... These are what you're going to have to do. And if you're going to be my people, if you're going to have me as my master, you have to act like you were created in my image. All right? He says you have to act in the way that I created you to be if you're going to be satisfied, if you're going to be happy. It, it all just folds into itself that if you are following Jesus 
then you are following his instructions. If you are following his instructions, you are satisfied in your life. If you and that satisfaction then comes back around that the only way to be satisfied in your life, to be happy, to feel purpose is when you are following Christ. So remember that question that we had at the very beginning of these two chapters that said, should we mourn? These two guys came to the temple and they get this big, long message through Zechariah from God. And this now, after all that long, here is the crux of that answer that they get. That they get. Verse 19 now uh, through 23 we're going to read. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth month, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness, and cheerful feasts, therefore love and truth and peace. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities. And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold of all the languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So, this is it. This is his whole answer to whether they should be sad about what happened in the past or not. They should, and he says, instead of mourning about what happened long ago, you now, things are, I have come back. I have offered redemption to you. He says, instead of mourning, I want you to jump for joy. I want you to be full of love, truth, and peace. Because through you, I will give the world what they want, what they thirst for. Because the branch, right? We talked about the branch back here. It is Jesus. He says, that Savior is coming. And by extension comes from the Jews and then it's open to the whole world to the Gentiles anyone who is a believer they now have that answer that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and all we need is to point to Jesus people from everywhere will come now to those who believe to those who know Jesus who have intimate knowledge of him that you can only gain through spending time with him, spending time in his spirit. They're going to come to you. They're going to see something different about you. And, they're, and it says here that they're going to grab the shirt of him. They're going to grab the end of, edge of the shirt and hold on to it and say, we want to go with you. We want to go where you're going. We want to follow Jesus with you. And this is 
this seems to be applicable to us, so applicable to us now, where people are afraid, they're concerned, they don't know the future. They want anything concrete to hold on to. And we have that answer, that no matter what comes, no matter what disease or famine or destruction or war comes, Jesus has promised that he will be our good shepherd, that he will protect us to, to anyone who follows. He will give us our daily bread. But he calls us at the same time to have a strong hand, to be ready to be courageous, to get up and do his work, to not sit idly by, and that he will bring blessings, he will redeem us, and he will bring grace to us for all the past things that we have done. Only we have to destroy that wall of sin between us and him. And that's all that I have for tonight, guys. Um, hopefully, check out um, the lesson from last week. If you missed it, it is up on the church website. It's in the Instagram bio. You can go ahead and take a look at it. And we will see you next week. Thanks.